0: Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the sanctuary for independent media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, who are known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Kaelin McPherson. And I'm David Moore. Today on the
1: Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Mark Dudley's conversation with Peter Lavinia, co-chair of the Green Party of New York and associate political science professor at SUNY Oneonta. They discuss the Green Party's vision on climate, housing, the economy, and war. Then we hear a speech from the Reverend Al Shar- Sharpton about the police killing of Tyree Nichols. Later on, Bria Barthel meets with Carol Roberts, head of the Troy Public Library Young People's Services. We will hear about three kids' books for Black History Month. After that, Renee Powell of the Troy NAACP joins us to talk about Black History Month and planned programming. Finally, how does motherhood shape poetry? Stay listening to hear Tom Francis discuss this question with Jill Crayman, a writer, artist, and educator.
0: But first, here are the headlines. The Times Union reports that the former State Department of Transportation inspector, who is a member of the State stretched Limousine Passenger Safety Tax Force, has asked Albany County District Attorney... David Soares to open a criminal probe into the New York's Oversight Prestige Limousine and the unsolicited Saratoga Limousine service that owned the 30-foot-four-stretch Ford Excursion involved in the 2018 Schoharie crash that killed 20 people. A similar request was made four years ago. Right before Shelters
1: of Saratoga withdrew its bid to build a 24-hour drop-in center for homeless people, Its executive director and board president endured days of threats of physical violence and personal lawsuits, the Times Union reports. Opposition to the project, which was to have been located in a former senior senior citizen center, was led by parents of students at the nearby Saratoga Central Catholic School. Several other sites have also been blocked by local residents.
0: Congressman Paul Tonko will bring Capital Area Labor Force, Labor Federation Director Mark Emation as his guest for the 2023 State of the Union address. Amation co- credits his uh, invitation to various food drives the Labor Federation has organized in recent years.
1: Rensselaer County will recognize the service and dedication of volunteer firefighters and volunteer ambulance company members by offering a 10% county
0: property tax exemption. Governor Hochul has vetoed a bill that would have allowed wrongful death lawsuits to include claims for emotional damage, a change that could have led to much bigger payouts for fatal accidents and deadly medical errors. Upstate transit officials are calling for a dedicated
1: source of funding for mass transit systems outside of the Metropolitan Transportation Authority's service area. Upstate transit officials believe a dedicated spending plan is necessary in order to meet the ongoing challenges of recovering from the COVID pandemic and transitioning to more renewable forms of energy for fleets around the state. That's it for the
0: headlines. For those just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad, grassroots participation. Our content
1: is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm@mediasanctuary.org, at mediasanctuary.org, or call
0: 518-272-2390. Moving right along to our first segment, are peaceful solutions available between the U.S.? Russia, and China. Peter Lavinia discusses diplomatic solutions, a Green New Deal, and other matters with Mark Dunley.
2: We're joined by Peter Lavinia as the uh, co-chair of the Green Party of of New York State. Uh, I'll mention he's also uh, assistant professor of political science at uh, SUNY uh, Oneonta. So we thought he would be good to give sort of a green perspective on the President Biden's annual State of the Union address has taken place on uh, February 7th. Uh, certainly the expectation is that President Biden will talk you know, about the war with uh, in the Ukraine and with Russia and shooting down balloons with China, offer an olive branch to the Republicans now that they have control of the House. And you expect them, I think most of the political pundits, what will he say about whether or not he's gonna run for reelection? But we thought we would be good to give some alternative viewpoints. So Peter, if the Green Party had managed to be delivering the State of the Union address, um, you know, rather than the Democrats, what, what are some of the key issues that the Green Party would be focusing upon?
3: The first that we talk about is the climate crisis. And it's really you know a planetary ecological emergency. Biden wants to pat himself on the back for the Inflation Reduction Act. But this is something that the Greens talked about last year. Uh, It doesn't go far enough, and it gives major concessions to oil and gas industries in terms of drilling and new leases, and doesn't really uh, prevent a lot of the environmental damage that's being done to frontline communities. We need to transition now to 100% renewable, Uh, not in 15 years, not in 20 years. Um, Biden's approach is, is far too slow. Um, and so we really need to talk about climate really, really, really fast and 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 move towards a renewable energy economy. And that's what a green president would talk about first. We'd also obviously talk about the economy. Um, we need to uh, deal with the fact that people are struggling. You know, uh, Biden's going to come out and say, oh, the economy is wonderful and, uh, you know, unemployment's down uh, as far as it's been since. Uh, 1969, uh, but people are still dealing uh, with the effects of inflation on basic goods, right? Uh, they're still dealing with struggling to get by in most areas in terms of housing costs, uh, child care costs, healthcare care costs. Um, we need a real Green New Deal uh, to put people back to work, work and to transition uh, the economy, uh, give them living wage jobs. We need to talk about healthcare. Biden's going to talk about uh, the COVID-19 emergency uh, going away. Uh, in May. Um, but what he's not going to talk about is how expensive all of those life-saving drugs and vaccines are going to be for many people afterwards, how expensive healthcare is. We saw during uh, the, the COVID crisis, which is still ongoing, that government healthcare d- can and does work. Um, we want single-payer universal coverage. Biden's not going to talk about that. Uh, we also want Biden to talk about gun violence. I mean, this is ongoing. He needs to declare a national emergency on that. Um, Biden needs to declare a climate emergency, right? Um, he needs to uh, move to federally de, uh, federally legalize marijuana, right? I mean, this is something people have been clamoring for as well. These are things that a, a green president would talk about. Um, same thing with education, right? We need free college education for all. Uh, get rid of that debt, not this 20000 that's being held up in the courts.
2: Now, one of the big issues... In many states, but certainly New York has has been the issue of uh, housing and affordable housing. Uh, it certainly has been driving a homeless crisis, which has uh, become sort of the symbolic, at least for the Republicans, to to really make it a crime type of issue because so many people, you know, out on the streets. What would what, what's a what's a green housing program? The green housing program is simply to, to
3: say that that the market is not going to take care of this right the market has caused this problem we need a number of things um one i think you know the what's floating around in new york state and even governor Hokel has talked about it, is the fact that we need more housing units and that's true um, but we need social housing you know this is something that they have in other countries especially in europe um, where people of all incomes um, can actually have units in uh, public housing Right. And it can look many, many different things. It might be apartments in New York City. Um, it might be, you know, uh, single or, or dual family houses upstate. Um, but we need inexpensive uh, houses that don't have costs that, that, that rise with gentrification. We need to build them um, and, and we need to do that publicly. You know, I think that the granny flat kind of conversation that went on, uh, the accessory dwelling unit conversation, I think that's a smart conversation to have. Um, and I think that that needs to happen as well. We also need rent control. Um, in places like New York City, where rents are just, uh, you know, uh, sky high and, and skyrocketing, um, we know that, uh, you know, landlords are keeping uh, housing units off the market, um, they have to be forced to uh, to rent those out to people, um, especially because they're, uh, they're low cost uh, public housing or rent controlled housing units. Um, so it's, it's a multi multi pronged, multifaceted approach um, that brings uh, brings the public into it and begins to democratize Access to housing, rather than what I think Governor Hochul and President Biden want, which is to simply kind of throw the door open to developers, um, and 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 that isn't going to really solve the problem that we see here in the state.
2: Yeah, I, I know the Greens are support. I believe it's COIL, the Just Cause Eviction Law which yes. Albany City. Of Albany has passed, but it's not yet been passed at the state level. But let's switch to foreign policy for just a moment. Obviously, the war in Ukraine continues. Greens are a peace party. I know in the peace community, there's differences of opinions on how to respond to the Russian invasion. But, uh, you know, looking at this proxy war with, mm-hmm. with Russia, looking at uh, seems to be the desire to go to some type of military confrontation with, with China, shooting down their weather balloons or whatever mm-hmm. they were. What What's the Greens' peace agenda? Um, look, the Greenpeace agenda hasn't changed.
3: We are a party of peace and nonviolence, uh, and we believe in diplomacy uh, before stoking the fires of war. Um, we believe that the U.S. military budget, which is now over 800 billion dollars, needs to be radically slashed. We need to uh, bring the troops home from uh, from overseas uh, and redirect that money to social programs. Um, the U.S. is an imperialist country. We have military bases uh, in, uh, in 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 every continent. Um, we have over 750 to 1,000 bases, depending how you count it overseas. You know, we are the premier threat to the world, right? You know, when it concerns Ukraine or, or China, yeah, the, the peace community can be divided. But I think what we can agree on is that um, the United States should be on the phone, President Biden should be on the phone with Vladimir Putin and talking about a peaceful solution to that conflict. We should also, uh, you know, not be stoking the fires of war there by simply pouring more and more weaponry into it. Um, we should be talking about how do we end this without more lives lost. And I think the same thing with China. You know, we are inter, intertwined with China in terms of our economy. Um, and and we do not want China and Russia are both nuclear powers. This kind of conflict is very dangerous. Um, and and we don't need to be playing this kind of brinksmanship game. We need diplomacy. We need to talk. We need to figure out where we can meet uh, on these issues without without fighting and, and ramping up nationalism and military spending.
2: So I'm going to ask you a two-part question and give you 90 seconds. One is your college professor. What are students, you know, looking for um, these days? And then, second, in terms of the politics, United States Congress very partisan polarization between the Democrats and Republicans as the two major corporate parties. How do the Greens think, you know, democracy and, and political parties should, you know, expand the United States? And
3: I, you know, teach a number of students um, introductory courses in American government, and every semester. You know, students are hungry to learn about government, but uh, having conversations with them, uh, they don't feel that there's any access to it for regular people like them or especially young people. You know, they're worried about the climate crisis. They're worried about the student debt crisis. Um, Students want access to government. They want uh, a democratized access to government. They know that the government um, is dominated by corporations and by the wealthy and by older people. Um, so, so you know, I, I think a lo- you know a lot of people say, "Oh, students are tuned out; they don't vote." I don't think that's, you know, uh, that's really true of of what they want out of politics. They're just very disillusioned, like a lot of the rest of the country. But they want uh, a more open democracy, and they and they're worried seconds. about the environmental problems. Um, you know, in terms of of the government, you know, we want uh, single we want single payer healthcare. We want we want public uh, financing of elections. We want proportional representation. Um, this polarization is really polarization between uh, parties about how best to um, dominate and exploit American workers in the environment, um, because that's who funds the Democrats and Republicans. Um, we need more voices and choices, and, and the Greens are for expanding access and getting money out of politics.
2: Peter Lavinia, Green Party of New York, GPNY.org, nationally GP.org. This has been marked only as involved, the Green Party should say, uh, for the Hudson Mohawk. Magazine.
1: If you want to learn more about single-payer health care, affordable housing, diplomatic solutions, and other matters, go
0: to the Green Party websites to explore their platform and action plans. On Saturday, January 28, 2023, HMM Roaming Labor correspondent Willie Terry went to an online webinar of the National Action Network. In this part four of this labor segment, we hear... Reverend R. Sharpton, the president and founder of the National Action Network, talked about the police killing of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee.
4: Our generation, we didn't choose it, but it's our situation. Policing and voting has been the assignments that we have. And we keep trying to run away from it. But we're going to have to deal with this. Yes. And the only way to deal with it is we got to have federal law and it. They're getting ready to have, in a few months, everybody going to start talking about 24 and the Senate races and the Congress up. We're going to set the stage now. That yes. 24, you have to deal with our voting rights and our police rights. Are we going to be organizing all over this country to put people in the Senate and the Congress that will vote us our federal rights? Ain't nothing more important than that. Let me tell you something. When they pulled Nichols over, they didn't know who he was. Uh That's right. That could have been your child. That could have been you. This is a 39 year old man with a four year old son working with his stepdaddy would come home every day for lunch, mother would fix them lunch. This wasn't no thug, this wasn't no hoodlum. And even if it was, you don't have a right to beat them to death. You don't beat folks to death in other neighborhoods. And I believe if that had been a young white boy, them five black cops wouldn't have treated them like that. One person said to me, well, at least it ain't about race. I said, the race part of it is, those black guys thought they could get away with doing it to a black guy. You know you couldn't get away with doing that Tennessee to a white guy. You will find out you ain't getting away with it, doing it to a black guy. Either. Nice. It is every, everywhere in the Bible. <clears throat> God calls people to operate in their time. Teachers, teachers. Bible's one continual story. Yes. God didn't call David to bring the children of Israel across the Red Sea. They'd already crossed. Come on, listen. God didn't tell Joshua to go build an ark. Noah had already done that. they already been the flood. You keep acting on things, Reverend, that has already been done. Yeah. You're an expert on what God did with Moses. Now, like God don't expect nothing out of you. Think about that now. If God wanted you to be just the expert of Moses, he'd have had you born in Moses' time. I hear you. God wants you to apply the principles of righteousness in your time. You You are not in the time of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You want to learn the lessons from that, but you cannot activate those times. You're not in the time of St. Paul. You can't go get Paul and Silas out of jail. They've been out of jail. You can't go get John on the island of Patton. Well, But you can get George Floyd in Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. You can get Tyrese Nichols in Memphis. Yeah, yeah. Stand up for the challenges of your time or sit down and admit that you're too scared to stand up and be what God wants you to be. the time in which we live talk about judgment what you going to say what did you do with the gifts I gave you Well, you know Lord I told them about Moses that we know what Moses did what did you do what did you do when they were beating folk to death my children what did you do when they were choking us to death what did you do when they put the knee on the neck of my children. Don't tell me what Moses did. Moses did his part, and I'll reward him. I don't need you to recite that. I need to give an account of what you did with the gifts I gave you. Yes, sir. That's why I love that scripture, Esther. Where Esther was in the king's house. Yes, sir. I hear you. Uh, Uncle Mordecai Mm -hmm. sent a message saying that they are planning to kill our people. Mm -hmm. They're planning genocide on your people. Mm -hmm. And you have found favor somehow. Sometimes God will put you places. you didn't even plan or strategize you find favor you found favor in the king's house and I want you to know that they're plotting right now the genocide of your people and I want you to go to King to the king and tell him what they are planning tell him so you can save your people Esther Say word back, I, I don't know if we can do that because you can't break rank, you can't break protocol, you can't, I'm here because I'm a lovely looking mate. Yeah. And I can't go to the king, you can't be killed for doing that. I'm not. Like some of y'all get in these positions, in these corporate positions, in these political positions, and you forget why you there. And you all of a sudden follow a protocol. But protocol didn't get you hired. Protest got you hired. And Mordecai sent back and said, No, you got to go to the king. And he said something that ought to resonate in all of our minds. said, Maybe you've come. Yeah. For such a time as oh, this. Oh, oh, yeah. Maybe the reason you're in the king's house yes. was such a time as this. And I'm talking to the preachers and the leaders all over that's watching us on impact. Maybe God gave you the gift yes, sir. for such a time as this. Maybe you got a following. Maybe you got a congregation. For such a time as this yes, this is not about entertaining your folk. This is about emancipating and liberating yes, your folk yes, There's the same word back mm-hmm. that uh, I, I'm gonna fast and pray about this yes, sir Said, Uncle Mordecai, I, I'm gonna fast. I'm gonna turn my
5: plate down in three days mm-hmm. right. and, and see what I get. And she fasted
4: and she prayed. That's sir. Right. And somehow in it, sometimes you got to work on yourself. Yeah. You know, sometimes, Cordell, things can be hard to just swallow. Sometimes you got to work on your inner strength. Because inside yeah. is what makes you externally strong. You got to deal with all of the self doubt. You got to deal with the naysayers. You got to deal with people that say you shouldn't do this. It's going to hurt your career. You shouldn't do that. You're going to lose your position. But sometimes you got to stop and figure out who you are. No matter what position you are, you got to remember who you are. I don't care what I get, TV show, radio show, all of this stuff, president coming out stuff. That ain't who I am, That's where I've gone, but that ain't who I am. I'm still that boy. Yeah. Then a single black woman raised me on welfare in Brownsville, Brooklyn. And God didn't bring me that way for not remembering where he brought me from. So maybe he brought me to be there for a Nichols family. Maybe he brought me to be there for a Gardner family. Maybe I've come like Esther for a time like this. So Esther sent word back after three days and said, I've decided what I'm going to do. What, What? I'm going to see the king. I'm going to break protocol. I'm going around what is acceptable. I'm going to stand up for my people to see the king. And if I perish, let me perish. But I'm going to see the king. Somebody said it's dangerous fighting police all over the country. Al, you better sit down and be quiet. Sometimes you don't got a way with getting stabbed. Sometimes you need to just let leave alone and let alone. But I got Esther feeling this yes. morning. Yeah. I'm on my way to oh, Memphis, and if we perish, let us perish. But I'm gonna fight for federal laws. I'm gonna fight. For the blessed family. I gotta speak up and cry loud and stand out and lift up my voice like a trumpet inside.
1: To hear the first three parts of this labor segment, go to our website mediasanctuary.org.
0: For those just tuning in, I'm Calen McPherson.
1: And I'm David Moore. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, and WOALP 106.9 FM Albany and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York.
0: If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. Hey you!
1: Boogie Boogie Y'all and Nina, A Story of Nina Simone are the titles of three kids' books for Black History Month. We will hear Bria Barthel's informative discussion with Carol Roberts from the Troy Public Library. Carol also has a surprise about critters that suck, literally. Listen up.
6: Hi, this is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and I'm back once again at Troy Public Library to talk with Carol Roberts, Young People's Services Librarian. Carol, welcome back to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Hi, Bria. Great to be back. So good to have you here, and it looks like you've got some interesting books for us today, so take it away.
5: Yeah, it's very hard to choose. I have some books uh, focusing on black culture and history, and the first one I'd like to talk about is called Hey You! An Empowering Celebration of Growing Up Black, and this is written by Dapo Adiola. and this focuses on the pride and struggle of growing up black It's a very hopeful book and features work of 19 artists of color. And the message, I would say, is to aim high and remember those great black icons who came before, people like Maya Angelou, Stevie Wonder, or Usain Bolt. Um, This would be for ages four to eight. And I'll just show you some some of the illustrations. They're very bright, bold, and colorful it's a reminder. It says, I hope that you know you are loved always, a love that started long before your birth, passed on in the very fabric of your being from generation to generation. And so it speaks to um, children's sense of community and their ancestors, which are depicted in different shades of blue. And it says, you stand on the shoulders of greatness. You share your magical melanin with countless generations of geniuses, creators, leaders, and great thinkers. Your potential is infinite.
6: And what I like about it is each of the two-page spreads, and this is a rather larger book, has lots of details that you might play, I spy, or pointing to, and having the kids talk about what they're seeing.
5: Actually, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's true. There's a lot of components, and one is just showing what's inside a young girl's imagination. Everything from pianos to birds to soccer and robots, and Paris, and on and on. It's a great book, and as I said, it's uh, hopeful and inspirational. It
6: looks like the next one is also very colorful and lovely.
5: This is another picture book. It's called Boogie Boogie Y'all. It's by C.G. Esperanza, and this would be good for, I would say, just four to eight. And this is a story of urban culture from a child's perspective. The adults seem oblivious, but there's beautiful art to be seen in a lot of the graffiti um, that surround a lot of our urban places. And what's interesting about this particular book is that the words actually have a rhythm. And there's an audiobook version of the author reading the story. And he definitely, um, he raps through the tale. And I'm not a rapper, but I would read a little. And maybe you can sense the beat in his words. Boogie, boogie, y'all, the city boogied all day, busy, 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 till one kid stopped to say, whoa, 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 look at the art on the wall. Whoa, 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 look at the art on the wall. Boogie. And even though a lot of the adults are oblivious, um, it seems, to the art, the art seems to jump off the page and embrace the community as a child moves through her journey of exploring um, this wonderful urban art form.
6: One of the things I like about it as you're flipping the pages is that the words are sort of dancing around and have rhythms in how they're um, scrolling across the page. It's really beautiful artwork.
5: It is. And then towards the middle of the book, there's a lovely full-page spread, and they're showing art on a train, on the sides of a train, and it's beautiful and bright, And um, very busy. So it's kind of a slice of life of uh, city culture. Great. And next we have? The next book I'd like to talk about is called Nina, A Story of Nina Simone. And this is a picture book biography, which describes her early musical talent, which was evident even before she could walk and talk. And uh, it shifts from her musical promise to her interweaving of activism, And this is a book that would be suitable, I would say, for ages four to 10. And you can see in the book that Nina Simone was actually a stage name that was invented to keep her mother in the dark about the fact that she was performing in nightclubs (laughs) as a young woman. And her mom was very religious, in fact, took her to church um, every Sunday. And her mother was actually a minister. And that's where she learned learned to sing and uh, learned to play. And her mother, of course, thought jazz was the devil's music, Um, but her father would put her on his lap and teach her how to play jazz on the piano whenever her mom was not at home. But it's a beautiful story. Um, There are themes of segregation, and uh, one scene in particular that reminds me of the movie The Help, or I should say the book, but her mother was a maid during the day. She worked for, of course, a white woman. And the children played together, her daughter and um, her employer's son, who was white. And at some point, it was decided that it was no longer acceptable for those two to play together. And so um, there's some sad moments. Um, You see the white-only and colored-only separations that occurred that you mostly think about, at least for me, in terms of like the 1960s and the civil rights movement. But a wonderful book, beautiful illustrations, and you really get a sense of who she was. And this looks like it's for a slightly older
6: audience. It's smaller font size. It's, it's more words per page. What age group
5: would you say this is for? I would still say it's for ages, I would say four to ten. If you look at some of the text, it says Eunice played until the sun rose. When she was thirsty, she ordered some milk. If the crowd was too loud, Eunice stopped playing, sipped her milk, and waited for quiet. She could wait all night if she had to. The milk was free. So it is pretty um, familiar language and vocabulary. Oh, yes. I think it would would be totally acceptable for for a four-year-old. That's uh, one of our new books that we have. And I would also like to talk about... Um, some fun nonfiction that we have. And this book is called, Yuck, You Suck, Poems About Animals That Sip, Slurp, Suck. And this is written by Jane Yolen and Heidi Stemple. I love how you always include something about nature
6: or science or some aspect in your selection of books. Thank you so much.
5: Well, yes, um, we have a lot more than, than stories, although stories are probably our bread and butter, I, I think at least as human beings. Um, that's how we relate to one another. So this would be um, for ages 6 to 12, and this is actually a poetry book, um, but these are, these are animals that do the aforementioned um, sucking and slurping. And what I love about this, too, is that it rhymes, so that makes it easy for younger kids to, to focus and pay attention. And what's also lovely about this book is it has what we call back matter, and in there is a glossary of sciency words that don't suck, <laughs> and more about those suckers. So there's more information on each of the animals discussed, um, if you're interested, and it goes on to explain um, the anatomical terms for the body parts um, that actually do the sucking.
6: And that's interesting you mentioned the glossary, because as you were starting to open the book, I was thinking a table of contents. I'm not used to seeing a table of contents in a kid's book. But that also gives the adult working
5: with them a chance to talk about how books are put together. Well, a lot of nonfiction actually would have a table of contents, uh, depending on on how um, complica- how complex it is. But here, let me just read you a little bit from one of the poems. This is called Pigeon's Evolutionary Beak, Flying Rat, I don't think so. Evolutions made Pigeon a pro. Compared to others of his kind, a better drinker you won't find. Most birds scoop, then tip back drips in tiny little bird-like sips. Pigeon's brilliant bill is best at any avian drinking test. His beak works like a straw in cup. Just stick it in, suck water up. And there you have an illustration of a pigeon leaning back against a fountain. Um, Sipping a cocktail with a small umbrella. So a very realistic, natural
6: pose. Yes. And beautiful colors. Each of the pages has a sort of modeled background in greens and yellows, other pages in blues and grays, but just beautiful, beautiful artwork.
5: And what I also like about this is it has um, different types of literary elements. There's also an ode, It says an ode to the ebrid moth and a honeybee haiku. A lot of information and fun um, packed into a book about real animals doing real things. Okay, thank you so much. Again, that's Carol Roberts,
6: Young People's Services Librarian at Troy Public Library's main branch at 102nd Street in Troy. If people want more information, the website is? TheTroyLibrary.org. Thanks a lot, Carol. This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. See you next month, Carol. Thank you. See you then.
0: For more book suggestions with Bria Barthel, go to our website, mediasanctuary.org, or listen monthly for new book suggestions. Comprehensive history and the teaching of black history is under
1: attack in some areas of the United States. Renee Powell of the Troy NAACP spoke with Sina Basila-Hickey about honoring the contributions of black people in the past and the present.
7: The National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, is a civil rights organization in the United States formed in 1909. The goal was to advance justice for African Americans. NAACP continues to do significant work in the present day, and joining me now is Renee Powell, president of the Troy branch of the NAACP. Welcome back.
8: Thank you, Sina. Good to be here.
7: February is, of course, Black History Month, the NAACP being an important part of that history. How is the Troy branch honoring this history this month?
8: Well, February is Black History Month, but it's also... uh, the Founders Month as well for the NAACP. And we will be celebrating the 114th year of the NAACP. And so what the Troy branch is doing uh, to honor uh, Black History Month is uh, we're hosting two events uh, and we're still in the process of solidifying the locations. We have the people, we have the idea. The issue is pinning down a location that will be appropriate and adequate to service the people that we intend to have showing. One of the events is a viewing of the movie Till. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with with the movie, but it's a heartbreaking real story about Emmett Till and uh, what happened to him as a result of an event that happened on August 28th in 1955. Uh, And what he did was he went into a candy store and he was falsely accused of whistling to a young white woman uh, at the the county in the grocery store. And um, she relayed this information to her husband and his half brother. And from that point, it was just a horror story. They abducted Till, tortured and lynched him. And so it took 68 years for this story to be put in film so that everyone could hear and understand what really happened. Um, you know, through the years, you would hear stories about Emmett Till and, and what happened. Uh, I remember growing up and hearing about the horrific pictures of his body being displayed in the casket, but I didn't really get the full story of what happened and what transpired to get to that point. So we will be showing that film. Um, The tentative date is February 27th, but uh, stay tuned. We will be putting out official information on that. And we're hoping to have a brief discussion about people's views, opinions, thoughts, questions they may have about uh, what they just saw in the film. And we're planning to start at six in the evening so that uh, that'll leave folks time to get home and, and enjoy whatever is left of the evening. Mm hmm. Uh, the other event that we're looking to uh, host is a mobile museum, and I found this to be very fascinating. We had this uh, a gentleman to exhibit during the Kwanzaa week. He his focus is on the history and contribution to the world of African descent people before slavery, and so his his exhibition is fabulous. And in his exhibition, it includes information not only before slavery but it also includes after slavery and some current day people of color who have done some significant things um we're he's going to be a guest speaker and again we're needing trying to solidify the date so being that february is the shortest month it's hard to get a date um space that is available, and so that's what we're working on right now. We think we have a couple of possibilities. We just need to confirm those, and hopefully uh, by the end of this week, we'll have the news out of when uh, these two events will be taking place in honor of Black History Month.
7: What are the reasons that February was chosen as the month for Black History?
8: Uh, the reason of February being chosen was because of Carter G. Woodson, who was uh, one of the founders and one of the advocates for Black people during the early 1900s, and then they you had the president's weekend or days, birthdays during that time as well, specifically Abraham Lincoln. As we progress, we've learned the full story of Lincoln, but still Lincoln's birthday fell within February. So February seemed to be uh, the prominent weekend for advocates for people's freedom and justice.
7: Of course, Black history is a 365-day important subject. That's right. But we That's are now correct. getting Juneteenth. Yes. And Martin Luther King, I guess, are the big pinnacles throughout the, the year. The big
8: ones. Correct. And and we have other dates. For example, in August, I I believe it's August 1st, but oh, the first black week August. in August, normally that week is uh, recognized within the South mainly as a week of jubilation and and coming together more of a, a reunion type of um, this time of year. And so, like you said, we are now focusing on Black history being 365, 365 days a year. And mainly that's because the contributions of the Black community and Black people to America is part of American history. And that's us all year long, every day, every hour, every minute.
7: So as... Most of our listeners know that Black history is being restricted in Florida. The restriction of Black history in the curriculum is incredibly harmful for all people, especially young people. What are you hearing? What is the NAACP saying around what's currently happening?
8: You know, the NAACP position is that all history is important. But African-American history has been excluded from the American narrative of history. And Black history is very important as well because we've contributed to the development growth of what we are today. And so this history should be taught to all students, not just African-American students. And so, you know, students are taught mathematics. They're taught science. They're taught American history. But because they're being Taught the American history with the exclusion of Black history. They're being taught, they're being taught a story with the omission of some truths. So basically, they're being taught a lie through omission. And so that's not a good thing. Why do we want to teach our youth, our you know our people, wrong information? That that's been a big issue, concern, um, misinformation, disinformation. Uh, being provided to people. And when I say people, I'm talking people of the world, not just the United States, but, you know, everywhere, uh, just providing a distorted narrative of what America is, and how America came to be.
7: What would you see as the most important way to educate oneself?
8: Well, one way is to become a member of the NAACP. Um, Another way is there are lots of books out here that contain a wealth of knowledge, and it goes beyond what we typically hear in presentations provided by media. So there are ways to delve deeper into uh, Black history and the contributions, and uh, not only learning the surface stuff, but learning... What was the true story behind us getting to that point? It would be very interesting to learn some of those things. But also, um, go to your school board and demand that these things be included in the curriculum. And don't go alone. I'm quite sure that if you feel that way, there are other people in the community that feel that way as well. You know, come together. And again, NAACP will be here to help you come together and um, make your voice heard.
7: Renee Powell, we really appreciate having you as a resource here in our community here in Troy with the Troy branch of NAACP. Thank you so much. For listeners who are interested in attending the film screening of Till and the mobile exhibition, where can they get more information?
8: Uh, you can uh, check out our Facebook page, and it'll be NAACP Troy branch on Facebook. And I do send out a group email, York, N-A-A-C-P, at gmail.com.
7: It's always a pleasure to have you on here, Renee. Thank you so much. Thank
8: you, Sina.
0: Bobby Seale, co-founder of the Black Panthers, will speak on February 9th at 6 p.m. at Hudson Valley Community College at the Bulmer Telecommunications Center Auditorium at Hudson Valley Community College as part of the Community College's series of Programs for Black History Month. And we'll have a follow-up story on that. David? This week, Tom Francis speaks with Jill Cramond, a
1: writer, artist, and educator. Her work has been nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Tom speaks with Jill about what inspires her poetry, what poetry means in a post-COVID world, and how motherhood shapes her writing.
9: Jill Crammon is a writer, artist, and educator who began writing poetry when she was in college. Over the years, her poems have appeared in literary magazines and anthologies all over the country. Her work has been nominated for a Pushcard Prize, and her poems recently appeared as part of Poem Village, a community program celebrating local poetry in the Adirondack town of Saranac Lake. On September 28, 2022, Jill shared her October sonnet at the second Poetic License Albany reading at Art Associates Gallery. In our conversation, we talk about what inspired that poem, what poetry means in a post-COVID world, and how motherhood shapes her writing.
10: Sit with me a while in the kitchen at five o'clock sunset, splayed on the table, bleeding orange string and pulp, the full length of my dullest knife. Condolences to your hollow smile, your seeds, all that sprang from them. Stop trying so hard with your skeletons and spiders, your tombstones and witches. Terror is a lie. Your death, fake. A pulsing hand thrusting from the plastic skeleton's chest. Drunk pumpkin, let me introduce you to my father. True ghost, buried six years. Properly dead, Lane out in fireman's dress blues. Cast your spell, hallow month. Candlelit mouth, bring me the head of someone I love. Um, actually, I wrote it during a workshop I took with Sarah Freely, who's a poet in, I think she's in Rochester. And it was during Zoom time, uh, pandemic time, when we couldn't go anywhere, so... It was a a workshop on the sonnet, and the idea was to write about a month, so it was probably during October, and I just started writing, and it came out to be that it was about my dad, who had passed away like five years ago. And that's kind of where it came from and it had to be heavy with imagery so october was an easy one to pick with all the you know pumpkins skeletons and it sort of naturally led to talking about someone that was dead
9: after hearing about how that piece came together i asked jill what else keeps her writing and if she has a process for putting words to paper
10: does come from signs on the side of the road. It comes from, uh, I was just watching a show about Bigfoot and they mentioned something in it about, they're tracking a jay, a blue jay, and it was a blue jay forest and it was the mimic forest. And I was like, oh my God, that'd be a great idea for a poem. So, and, and I might start by writing about the blue jay and how it mimics things for danger. And then it will just naturally lead into I don't know something in my life which is how the sonnet the October sonnet came about I didn't set out I didn't think oh all right I'm gonna write about October which is the month of pretend tombstones and oh that'll be about my dad it just sort of comes it just comes naturally I guess or right, I let my imagination take me where it wants to yeah I wish I had a process and a ritual like that's my plan is to set my alarm clock for an hour ahead and do it but no it's really either I'm taking a class so I have I'm forced to write or I'll find a workshop and which forces me to write or sometimes like with the the blue jay mimic forest it's like ah okay so I'll write some notes
9: Jill did not start writing poetry until she was in college. She explains how she started and what has kept her writing all this time.
10: Yeah, and I was in, I want to say, like my junior year of college, and I I was an English major, so I had to take a poetry class. And I, you know, wrote poems, and my professor sent one to a contest. Like, I didn't even know she had done it. And I won, and I won $200. Like, so back in the 90s, for a college student, I was like, dude, I'm rich. I'm gonna be a poet. And so that's kind of what I did. I I really started writing then. I love the creation. I love the feeling that I get when I'm writing and the ideas take form. I I love coming up with metaphor. I love creating. So I tried fiction for a little while back then and that was fun. Um, But the poetry just was more immediate. And I don't like to delve into emotions too, too much. I like to go on the surface with metaphors and imagery. So poetry fits it. And I think I stopped writing when I had kids. And then I discovered that was like when the blogs became really popular. And I discovered, oh my gosh, there's all these poet moms. So I'm going to start writing again. And I just kept doing it.
9: A lot of Jill's poetry comes from being a mother and she's been finding ways to fit her experience as a mom into her work as much as she can.
10: Well, I mean, it's kind of just my gig. (laughs) You know, you write what you know, and that's what I've known these last 21 years. And when I started writing, I, I don't like to be like anyone else and I don't like to be cliche. So... But this was my experience, and this was what I what I wanted to talk about. So I had, wanted to find ways to talk about it that weren't cliche or boring. I mean, I don't think they're boring. And like I said, I love metaphor. So, you know, I probably, I don't remember about the Wizard of Oz poem, which is like one of the first poems in the book. But probably I watched it with the kids and then started just free writing or maybe Mm -hmm. something said oh yeah that reminds me of us and that's what happened Mm
9: -hmm. in the mid-2000s jill and fellow poet carolee bennett began coming out to the local poetry open mics as a way to share their work with a wider audience she tells me how that all came about
10: it uh sort of coincided with i think when i was about like my (laughs) my marriage was sort of falling apart and i was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And it was one of those challenges we gave to each other, Carolee and I, um, because we would, we met at a writing group at Women Words and we found out we had a lot in common. And so we would write on our own. And I think one of us came up with the idea, you know what, we should read out like that's the next natural step, right? You're writing this and sending things out, but it would be really great to have a community and to go out and read and meet other poets so it was sort of a dare like we dared ourselves and in fact we went to one that was over by Saint Rose at a coffee shop and we chickened out the one at um the Lark Tavern that was like our first time ever and it was we just like I swear we were probably like pushing each other in the door
9: After that first open mic at the Lark Tavern, Jill and Carol Lee had been heavily involved in the local writing community, even serving as co-presidents of the Hudson Valley Writers Guild. I wanted to know how the pandemic affected her writing in the workshop she attended online. She also tells me what she thinks of the power of poetry in a post-COVID world.
10: I think because it was the pandemic and we couldn't go anywhere, it was nice because it it forced me to do some writing, whereas I might've like read a book or watch Netflix. Like, this. so it, that part of it was nice. And it's also nice to be in your own space and your own clothes and, and, you know, you can shut off the camera and just do your writing, but then you have this community. So it's sort of more on your own terms.
9: Mm-hmm.
10: That part of it, I liked. I didn't do a lot of like, open mics so much as the workshops where you would like read like poems that are already in books and then get ideas like i I love prompts because they get me thinking and then you could share if you wanted to or you didn't and that part of it i liked i think even more so now than ever poetry is a is a force to be reckoned with i think because maybe of the pandemic more people found solace or strength in writing and listening I think um like Amanda Gorman you know choosing mm-hmm. her to for the inaugural poet I think that gave a whole new generation of people who might not have been interested in poetry gave them an interest in poetry um I think it's for whatever reason it's gave it new vitality you know more and more people are sharing or like Maggie Smith with good bones, Mm -hmm. how that went viral like I think sort of the pandemic and social media all happening around the same time like poetry goes viral and people are interested in it and that can only help further the our mission right which Mm -hmm. is to share our words and bring community and and like that whole universal experience where at a, at a live poetry reading, you can hear everyone go, ah.
9: Jill Craman's first book, Handbook for Unwell Mothers, which has been a work in progress for over 10 years, will be published by Finishing Line Press in May 2023. She currently lives in upstate New York with her two children and teaches art and preschool at a nature-based school. For Hudson Mohawk Magazine, I'm Tom Francis.
0: This is a weekly poetry bucket from Tom Francis. Listen every Tuesday for poetry content or go to our website, mediasanctuary.org, and put it in the search bar, poetry. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Kalen McPherson. And I'm David Moore. Our engineer
1: is Kalen McPherson. We thank all of our volunteers who made today's episode possible. Headlines from Mark Dunley. And segment producers, Mark Dunley, Willie Terry, Bria Barthel, Sina Basilahickey, and Tom Francis. And your co-hosts, Kalen McPherson, and me,
0: David Moore. We want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Media Sanctuary, or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to your local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening. And remember, radio isn't dying, but it's growing. Until next time.